0: On this special interview episode of the Galactic Dads podcast, we are joined by Marvel Comics writer Matthew Rosenberg. In this candid and in-depth interview, he shares his unique entry into the comic book writing industry, as well as his thoughts on the elevator pitch, and explains his personal attachment to his early work. Mal also talks about his work at Marvel, past and present, and explores his run on Uncanny X-Men before Jonathan Hickman took over. He also shares his excitement about entering the cosmic side of the Marvel Universe in the current Annihilation Scourge series. All this, and he talks about upcoming projects. So stick around and enjoy the show.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
0: Before we get started, does anyone want to get out?
1: The Galactic Dads Podcast. A podcast by Geeky Dads. Talking about all things geek. Dad life? i and beyond. Language!
0: All right, so we are on with Matthew Rosenberg, who, thank you very much for giving us your time.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here.
0: It is an honor for us to have you. Uh, It is only me, Brandon, from the Galactic Dads talking to you, so I hope you don't mind a little one-on-one. Um, uh, but everybody else was too sleepy to stay up for a Skype call.
1: Uh, that's fair. That is fair. I'm a. Uh, I myself have been sleepy in the past, so I know what that's like.
0: I uh, was curious. Uh, do you? Are you a bit of a night owl?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm a, i I'm a night owl and a and a guy who doesn't sleep that much. I'm like six hours is a really solid night for me. Um, oh, wow. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always hard to sort of, you know, I have to be up in the morning to take calls and give notes from Marvel. So it's sort of a tricky balancing act of like, when I go to bed, if if it was up to me, uh, my bedtime would always be when the sun goes up. Like I go, I would go to sleep when the sun comes up and wake up, you know, five or six hours later. But
0: uh, I I, I only ask because our correspondences via email all have timestamps. And it seems when I go to bed, I'll wake up in the morning and then I'll have a response. And they're always at uh, the late hours of the early morning. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe he's just one of those night owl writers. And that's when I got all of my writing and stuff for college done was in like 1, 2 a.m. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that just keeps going when you become a real professional writer.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny. There there's a group of of uh, other writers uh I know who are night owls and it's like not super weird for like Donnie Cates or Nick Spencer or one of those guys to call me at four in the morning because they know I'm up. Like I'm always up at that time and they'll they'll call me and we'll chat and um it, it's a... Uh, yeah, I, I remember the moment when I told a bunch of editors, an editor said to me once at, at a dinner with a bunch of my Marvel editors, and they were like, you wake up so early, you're always emailing us at 5.30 in the morning, 6 in the morning. And I was like, yeah, that's not waking up, that's that's late in no. the day. And no. they, they all look shocked and horrified. Still going,
0: still going from yeah. the night before. I think we can all be sympathetic on that, especially if you get to working on something, you just kind of keep going, and then maybe it's that time tunnel that you hear about. Mm-hmm. you look up finally and you're like oh wow that was that was it was yesterday i started this
1: yeah i mean i i feel like you know the human brain is trained to want to go out and do things in the day and interact with people and at night you know the rods and cones switch and i th- i think there's something that's just like settle in get a you know get a cup of cocoa and and you can sort of just be on cruise control writing it's i mean that's at least how my brain works so
0: if you had to kind of peg it down, uh, what would you say your process is? Like when you start writing, do you, do you have to have your setup, your laptop in front of you, your notepad there to just kind of keep going? Or can you, are you one of those people who throughout the day can take like quick voice notes on your phone and then create something purely off of those notes later in the afternoon? Like what would you say your process with a new idea to begin fleshing it out? Looks like,
1: um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I'll i do the, I, I'm not big on the voice notes on the phone. I, I carry a notebook and I, I jot things down in the notebook. Um, and a lot of times I won't come back to it for a long time. And then I'll come back and look and be like, oh, this is cool. And, and that's sort of my way of like, you know, getting away from the moment where something hits me. And, th- you know, that little bit of distance is a good filter for whether or not something is stupid. Um, or I I think it is. Other people <laughs> might disagree with me. But <laughs> um you know it's it's uh i'm not one of those people I, I my process i think is is sort of weird because i i feel like there's there's a couple different types of writers there's the writer who can like who's very structured who's who's very much like i i have to work till here i i need this to be on i need to be in this chair in this place uh and i'm definitely not that like you can drop me anywhere and i'll I'm good to go like I'm I'm I love writing on a train or a plane or you know in a hotel room or or just wherever I am like coffee shop I'm fine. The only thing is I need a lot of like I'm sort of slow to start so I, I you know if I, I, I can't do the thing where it's like oh you have 20 minutes let's see if you can get a page like that doesn't work for me like I need five hours to like sit down and work so like little interruptions are really difficult like i i have trouble if it's like the daytime and i'm like oh i gotta go deal with ups guy and then i oh i have laundry in and i have all these things and like that's why the the late night works for me because it's sort of i've cleared out my day and i just have that open open road of of everyone's asleep in front of me but mostly i like to do a thing i i call expanding out where i i just i try and get a sentence that I think is cool you know if you're starting about the, if you're talking about the origin of a story for me like I try and have that mm-hmm. one sentence that I think is like this is cool like this is the kind of thing if someone tells you it you'd be like this is interesting and then I try and turn that into a paragraph and I turn that paragraph into you know a page or two pages and then I break it down into uh you know what a story would be what the beats are what what it is from there and then you know i I literally read a thing called my beat sheet which is just like these are the big moments and and then i go through and i assign like how long should this be like how much does it take to to show this moment is this two pages is this six pages and i i flesh that out and then i go well what would each page be and and from there i i i say well how many panels do we think it is and that never sticks um all of the stuff is sort of fluid as i construct it but um, you know, at the end of the day, it it started, it's like, it's reverse peeling an onion. I start with just the one little sliver and I just add to it and add to it. And, and so like, you'll see in my, my documents that I have, a I have the same sort of idea expanded from, you know, sentence to paragraph, paragraph to page, page to, you know, four pages, four pages to outline, to rough outline, to tight outline, to script, to like revised script. So it's a very much like a, you know, an ever sort of growing kind of thing. If that I can,
0: it does, it does. It makes sense to get that that one idea and then you're just trying to flesh it out and add to it and add to it and a messy onion in reverse kind of is I think a great way to try and explain that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I always, I always say I, like I talk to a lot of writers and I, I you know, I, I think the, the log line or the elevator pitch is is maligned for for a good reason that I, I think the idea that a story can be summed up in a good way in a sentence is absurd because a story is so many things and, it's, and it's, so many of them are subtle and so many of them are huge and they, they, they're not going to fit in a sentence. And so much of what we love about a story is not going to be in that sentence. So I, I think the idea of like, pitch me your book in a sentence or pitch me your film idea in a sentence is, is kind of gross and, and, and terrible. But I do think for the creative process, I think having that like narrow, concise focus of like, this is the the shrivel and the, the kernel of something that I need to get across. And then mm-hmm. gr- going from there, like this is the seed that starts it like that to me is always really important. But then I don't share that with people. I'm never like, well, that's this is how the idea came about, because I think that what ends up coming from that kernel, you know, you plant your acorn and, and uh, you know, no one looks at the acorn and, and visualizes the oak tree. And, and I don't want to show people the acorn and then describe that it's going to be an oak tree. I'd rather try and describe the oak tree. I don't yeah. know where
0: that came from. But. Honestly, I'm sort of impressed. Well, thank you. Because I can't tell you how long I've been trying to put an oak tree into an acorn for an elevator. Um, sure. It sure. seems so strange. So now every time anybody asks me, I'll just have to say I can't fit the whole oak tree in the elevator and see if that catches on.
1: Yeah, yeah, go for it. You're gonna get a lot of weird looks, but I, I, am all for that.
0: I will. I'll, I'll just hope to run into you in the elevator. That's my only hope.
1: Yeah, I'll take it, it
0: of it being a shot. That's an odd, weird transition, but I think it fits with from the elevator pitch, which is you know what a uh, many many people think is the way to to get an editor's idea at a con or sure. uh, via Twitter or however it is done these days because it's yeah. constantly changing. Um, but For you specifically, what was your first official comic book work? Was it at Black Mass Studios?
1: Yeah, so uh, I spent a while and I was pitching stuff. And then I did a bunch of self-published stuff and did a web comic for a little bit on a now defunct site called Trip City that was great. And so that's that's where I started. But my first like in a comic shop comic, I did a book called 12 Reasons to Die. Which I, I did with uh Rizza and Ghostface from the Wu Tang clan and um that, that's my... just
0: too cool. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but oh, no, to yeah. make
1: that to make that your break in to
0: be yeah. with Riza and Ghostface Killer from the Wu Tang clan. Like who dreams of that? That's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's always funny because people like I used to have to do the like uh breaking into comics panels a lot. And mm-hmm. those are those are really rough because uh, i think a lot of people go to those panels wanting the answer and wanting the secret and that's not how it works it's like you know it's 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 there isn't some word i can tell you or some like magic thing i can tell you that that's going to get you a job or get you get you published and and so it's always a little rough because there's so much expectation and so much like hope in the room and you're sort of there to be like hey it's it's a job and it's a job application process and it's hard But I always get asked, like, "Well, how did you break in?" And I have to be like, "Well, the Wu Tang Clan asked me to do a book with them." And it's so (laughs) amazingly unrelatable that it, like, sort of it helps me distance myself from like the idea that all these people are like really hoping that I'm going to be like, "I met this guy and he gives you jobs," Uh, because I can be like, "I met a guy and he gave me a job," but that guy was RZA. Like, go find him. Good luck.
0: I would just love to be in that room because I've been at the the breaking into comics panels. Sure. And not a single person, but well, this pretty famous rapper and his friends were like, hey, let's make a book together. And that was my way in. I just love to see the energy in that room when that sentence comes out of your mouth.
1: Yeah, it goes over real weird that that is a moment that is a moment that I cherish at cons because people are just like, is he joking? Like, what is he talking about? And then I talk about it for a bit and they're just like. Oh, he's not joking. Like, he really, his advice to me right now is go make friends with famous rappers and they'll give you word. Um, which, if you can do it, for sure, do it.
0: I see very few downsides to making friends with rappers, like real famous rappers. Sure. I, I can only see benefits there.
1: Yeah. I got a lot of uh, nice meals out of it.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I never once thought, hey, could probably do a comic book out of it, though
1: yeah no that was a weird that was a weird turn but yeah so that that's my first book and and uh i actually had the book um the story and i was working on it without a publisher but i knew the guys at black mask and and really liked where they were going and the company hadn't put anything out yet but i knew what they were doing and so i uh I brought it to them and they were like, yeah, yeah, we want to do this. So yes, that was my first, my first published work. Excellent.
0: And for a brief moment, I thought you were involved in an anthology there as well. Was that, am I incorrect oh, on that one? No,
1: no, that's true. Um, I had a, a short story in the Occupy Comics anthology, which was a anthology of stories related to about uh, sort of discussing the Occupy movement when that was happening and Occupy Wall Street. And um, yeah, it's a, uh, that was supposed to be the comic they published but due to a distribution snafu um my uh wu-tang comic shipped a week earlier so uh my book was the my first published work was their first published work so we are forever uh intertwined as publisher and and writer but yes i i did a that was my first technically my first thing should have been a three-page story in occupy comics which i i did a little story about uh home foreclosure a family losing their home and and to it to a bank and it was a I haven't looked at it or thought about it in a long time, but um, uh, a lot of people told me they really liked it, so that was nice at the time, sort of what I needed to hear.
0: Well, that's any words of encouragement uh, when your first work gets published, I'm sure, is always nice to hear.
1: Oh, Um, yeah, sure.
0: Was there, for you, and this may be looking way too much into it, but for you, was was there any type of experience behind that three-page story in Occupy Comics? Was there any type of Relatability there or was that just employing empathy as a writer to kind of get those feelings out there
1: um yeah i mean it was uh for me growing up uh, both of my parents are writers um and you know my dad was a tv writer predominantly for a lot of time he wrote novels he wrote a lot of different stuff but he was a tv writer so we had a very uh boom and bust i had a very boom and bust kind of childhood when it was like oh he's on a show and it's working and you know, we're, we're living high on the hog. And then there was times where like, as a little kid, I was like, Oh, things are scary. And we're not doing Christmas this year. And, and, and there were points where, um, things were, you know, there was ups and downs. And, you know, I, I, I would never be like, I was a poor kid or, or deprived of anything. I, I certainly wasn't. My parents were, you know, took, I was a spoiled little kid, but later on, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, uh, my dad got sick and oh. there was, a, there was just a thing that, that, we we couldn't keep our house, and that was going to be a big uh, a big thing. And and I, I we had sort of a family meeting, my parents and my brother and me. And it was a, a question of like, uh, well, what can we do to keep the house? And that ended up not. Uh, we I just had the realization that I was like, oh, the house that I grew up in and lived in my whole life, that my parents were in, you know, for years before I was born. It it, it always seemed so stable and secure, and and seeing it suddenly being something that you could lose and, and fleeting. And, and the idea that home is, is not the thing you've thought it was your whole life was something that I sort of wanted to convey. And, you know, it was, you know, the Occupy movement was about the a lot of things, but it was certainly had a lot to do with the, the way big banks work and the predatory nature of, of credit and, and things like that and, and Wall Street. And I sort of was a few years past looking back at that and, and being kind of revolted on, on the way that, that things work in this country, sometimes, and so yeah, I mean, I channeled that. It was not like I was an adult, and you know, I my brother was an adult. It was not like anyone lived on the streets. My parents uh, moved to Connecticut and lived in Connecticut and have a very lovely house. So it's not like this is some. But it, it, there was a, a sort of a sliver of a connection to something in my life for sure in the story.
0: I don't know what it is, but hopefully, my like my first crack in eventually, whenever that happens. Uh, clearly, after I make millions of dollars from this podcast, well, sure. uh, will will be like a nice story that that I've just been stuck with me since I was a little kid. So every time I see or get the opportunity to speak with a writer uh, who has had you know a few years of published success, and congratulations to you on that. Uh-huh. Uh, I always I always wonder if that first story or one of the early works that that you get in has like a kernel of something you've been hanging on to for a while. So forgive me if I delved too deep and thought maybe that there was more there than possibly was but i just thought it was a good
1: question no no for sure um i think a lot of you know uh, less so with marvel i mean a lot of stuff in marvel is is personal and has a, a personal connection to me um even now still but definitely in in my own stuff and and then we can never go home and four kids and um uh, my upcoming book that i'm doing uh an image which is called what's the furthest place from here like they're fantastical and weird and and crazy but they're they're intensely personal like an autobiographical and and uh it's something that i really uh you know it's cathartic to put them out there but also i i feel like if you're not doing that kind of work it feels dishonest to me sometimes i feel like if if the books you're putting out are are just oh, this is a cool story, like, you can you can feel that on a page if there isn't more of you in it than this is, I thought this was a cool story. So I, I, I try to stay away from just the this is a cool story kind of stories as much as I can.
0: That has to be hard to do, actually. Just because, I mean, like, really cool stories like popcorn comics, if you will, mm-hmm. they're so easy to give into. I feel like that's why we have event after event because, I mean, it's just all of the action there. But those are rarely the stories that stick with us. It's... Sure. You know, something where there's a little bit of emotional connection.
1: For Um, sure. For sure. I mean, it took me, uh, you know, like not to, you know, to my own horn here, but we are. Oh,
0: please do. Please do. yes. Yes.
1: All right. Well, we're gonna toot then. The uh, you know, like I'm doing the Annihilation event right now, and it took me a little bit to sort of tap into what I what I wanted to do with it because I was like, I knew I wanted the war story, and I knew the setting, and I knew like, well, I have to pay tribute to all the stuff that came before, and in the other Annihilation books, and and you know what's going on in Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four, and you know Guardians and all these other books, and it was really Nova that clicked for me because Nova is such a interesting character, and what he's been through is is a think so real in a lot of ways and so relatable and that's the marvel i love i mean like i love those characters who are dealing with with trauma and dealing with things and dealing with with you know real stuff that you can see and you know maybe they're punching the vulture or flying through wormholes or whatever they're doing but like that's not you know what the story's about that's just the story and and what the story's about is something else and it took me a bit to get to figure out that nova was what the story would be about and his dealing with things and and where he's at in his life and and uh you know so I'm, i in the end it's something i'm really proud of in that book and i i hope that people you know, when, when the last issue hits, I I think people will see, you know, like what I was going for with Nova and and why it's his journey. And, and yeah, and I just really, you know, I'm really proud of it because of that moment, because there Mm -hmm. are other books where it's hard to find the sort of emotional in and the emotional honesty, but Nova to me in this book is, is telling something that's very personal to me and very close to home. And, and, um, and, you know, I think it just reads better because of it. And maybe it only reads better to me, but I, I think it does.
0: Well, just um, to help clear things up for people who may not have read a Nova comic in a while. Sure. Uh, which character is the Nova in your story?
1: Okay. Uh, the Nova in my story is Richard Ryder, who is... Yes, the- I'm, the- I'm so
0: excited by that. I'm sorry, I just had to. No, had yeah. to make sure everyone was aware.
1: Yes. uh, The Nova has, uh, you know, Nova is such an interesting character. I, I really love him. I grew up, you know, as a huge New Warriors fan, and he was on that team. And, um, you know, the original sort of conception of Nova was that he was basically, uh, you know, he's one part Green Lantern and one part Peter Parker in space. He's he's the hapless kid who ends up with great power and is learning that with that comes great responsibility. Um, and he's sort of wisecracking and funny. And then basically things just go horribly for Nova for the next <laughs> 30 years in comics. And it's sort of hard to figure out why. Um, he's really marvel's punching bag in a very serious way um you know he builds up a nova Corps. they're all killed uh he he comes back to earth and joins a team uh they sort of you know he falls in love it falls apart you know he's on this team the team collapses he goes back to space to rebuild you know the the nova Corps uh that he left and his team is killed on earth and then he ends up in a big war, and the Nova Corps is killed, and he ends up being this general in this war, and at the end of the war, his side wins, but the cost is that there's this huge hole in space, and there's horrible things in it, and he has to go in there, and essentially, in order to save Star-Lord, he traps himself in what is essentially Marvel's, a Marvel version of Hell, and he is trapped there for what to him seems like eternity. And uh he gets out and he finds out that his dad died and that the universe has moved on and there's a new Nova on Earth and uh who's Sam. And so it's it's really like kind of in, and he's sick and he's infected. So there's like, you know, looking at Nova from the broad picture, I was like, this is just the guy who's never caught the break. He's never been the hero that he should be, which is funny both in the Marvel universe and also like in the in the in our world, like he's a great character who's just never become loved the way he should be, and so you know we're we're putting a lot of that into the book, and so this is rich is sort of coming out of yet another tragedy and being roped back into someone else's war and uh and dealing with that and dealing with a lot of this stuff and trying to figure out his place in the world in a in a very literal way, trying to figure out where he belongs in the universe um and I'm really you know. I, I'm a big Nova fan, and I, I think some Nova fans were like, "You really beat the hell out of him." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I did." And like, we we need to, um, because he's Nova, but like, he's going to come out of this hopefully in a more interesting place, or maybe he won't. We'll see. You got to read the last issue. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, for everyone listening, it sounds like it's just a, a real rough ride and not much fun for Richard Ryder, but there is a lot of humor in the book best scene is when he's on the porch of the Richards household and trying to talk to uh, Franklin and Valeria yeah and I mean that whole I won't spoil it for anybody but if you're looking for it go go read Nova I recommend uh, but it is funny it's just it's kind of interesting to see how Richard deals with things uh, even with small interactions of children disrespecting him it's a fun ride even yeah. though it's a it's a serious ride and you don't want to be Richard for it
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like, I, I I took the very, I very much took the, uh, the sort of Peter Parker esque origins of him to heart. That it's like when the world is raining down on him, he's still gonna, like, try and make the joke and still try and, it's still, he's still a little hapless and it's still funny. Yeah, there's, there's some beats in there that I think are are pretty fun and funny. Um, you know, he ends up hanging out, uh, not to spoil anything, but with a nihilist for a little (laughs) bit. And there, that is a, um, which is, inter- that's entertaining. I will, yeah. I'll just say, that's entertaining. Yeah, that was the thing I was sort of most excited about, was just, you know, Nova and Annihilus hanging out. It's just a good buddy cop right there, buddy cop team up right there.
0: I do feel that this is, it's a good transition and pickup from the Annihilation from back in, what was it late 2000s? Mid But yeah, it's, it's kind of a nice pickup because I felt Richard Ryder gave up that that sacrifice, and then only a few years later we got Star Lord back, but yeah. I went to, and Thanos came back as well, yeah. And the only person we were missing was Nova himself, and yet he wasn't returning. I was kind of miffed about that for a long time, uh, so yeah. it is good to see him back.
1: Um, I wrote something, uh, a little thing that comes out uh, later. Well. Uh, I wrote something that's coming out in the not-too-long, uh, not-too-distant future that's sort of a Nova, a Nova short story coming up. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it. I, I, really, I really love it. But, but he, he just has a line. He's talking to someone, and he has a line. He said, you know, I, I was trapped. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, no one came for me. And it's just, it's just the realization that it's like, he's the only character in the Marvel Universe that could be left behind like there's no one else who would get left behind in the cancerverse, and no one is coming for them like there would be rescue missions and all this stuff but nova is such a such a character they kick around and when i realized like oh man no one ever tried to go back like star lord didn't try and get him out really
0: um he was too busy falling in love with kitty pride you know i just
1: yeah i mean kitty pride's great i'm i'm also in love with kitty pride so i don't blame him on that but well
0: don't call her kitty
1: anymore by the way but
0: yeah That's right. Well,
1: At the time, he was in love with Kitty, but she's a grown-up pirate now. Um, Rum-running. She's a rum-runner and she's a, you know, a bloodthirsty pirate with a dragon. Uh, But yeah, so I I just really, like, yes, the fact that no one came for him is something that has weighed on me, and I was going to put it in Annihilation, but then I have this other thing coming up uh, where you'll see him, and I was like, yeah, it's going to go in there, and I think, I, I hope that, you know, when people read that, they'll see what we were trying to do with Nova even more.
0: I look forward to that uh, as a fan of Mr. Ryder himself. So, I mean, switching from that, like there are some things I want to touch on, but not quite yet, but I did want to ask the start at black mask, uh, even though you had done some self published and online comics before that, mm-hmm. but the transition from that to Marvel yeah. must have been one kind of like that, that fireworks moment. Sure. Uh, that, hey, I got called up into the big leagues. But
1: that was for what? A one shot? Uh, it was for a short story, actually. Um, my first thing was a uh, Secret Wars journal number one. I wrote a ten pager. There's a a Hawkeye story that I didn't write, and I wrote the X Men story in that uh, book. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, that was my first thing. And yes, it's exactly like the call up to the big leagues is the sort of analogy that I, that I give myself. I, I actually remember exactly where I was. I was in my living room and uh, Jake Thomas, who is, uh, is my editor on The Punisher uh, and is, for 27 Issues, is, is one of the great editors in comics and, and one of my favorite people. He just emailed me out of blue and he, he said, hey, Matt, how's it going? Um, and I knew him, I'd met him a couple times and he was like, I'm really liking... I guess I was doing, we can never go home at the time. And he was like, I really liking, uh, what you're doing on this book. We can never go home. Do you want to do a 10 page story, uh, for us in secret Wars journal, whatever you want? It was just so casual. It was just like, a, you know, it was like the way you'd invite someone to, to get coffee or the, you know, something like that. It was just such a sort of like, Hey, do you want to do this? That I, I, it took my brain like a minute to sort of process it. And I, I remember, I like I picked up my computer, my laptop, and I walked it into the other room, and I showed it to my girlfriend. And I was like, hey, can you read this email? And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, am I understanding this correctly? It's a four-sentence email in plain English. And she was, like, immediately screaming and so happy. And it, like, I, I couldn't really process it correctly. I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm going to do something at Marvel. It's like a childhood dream of mine come true. So, yes, it was, it was exactly that getting called up to the big leak moment for me.
0: I'm sure a lot of people sit and think, especially when they sit and they're breaking into comics panels and, and things like that, they just hope for those moments. But once the, the excitement and kind of the, the days wears off, you had to come up with the idea for what to write in that 10-page short story. Was there something you immediately wanted to write that you decided not to go with? Or uh-huh. how did that go?
1: It's funny, The I knew immediately that I wanted to do an X-Men thing because the X-Men are my favorites. I I said, like, oh, you know, I was still very new and I, I thought editors had all the time in the world. And, you know, I, I was like, I'm going to go above and beyond. And so I was like, I want to come up with 10 ideas to send them. And, like, they don't want to read 10 ideas. They want to read the best idea. And if they go, I don't like that, they want to read the second best idea. Um, but that was me not, not really getting that. And so I, I sent 10 ideas... And actually, like I think my ninth idea uh was a Captain America story that I really, really love, that could only sort of be done it was like an alternate universe Captain America story that could only really be done in in that sort of context, but I was really it, it's something that I'm like, huh, that's probably the better story because years later, I don't ever think about my actual story that I wrote, but I think about that Captain America story a lot um but no i mean pretty much the thing i wanted to do the first thing was was the you know they they told me like there's all these it's in secret wars so there's all these different worlds on this battle world planet and we want to do something in in new egyptia and i knew egyptia from the old new warriors book they go there but i was like i don't want to do a new warrior story like i'm going to do an x-men story and so right out the gate i sort of knew you know, where it was taking place and who I wanted in it. And then it was just a sort of like putting pieces together kind of thing that, yeah, I, I, I it sort of came together really quick. It, it, the, the funny thing is when you start at Marvel, like I say this to people, I, I've had this conversation with people who are now Marvel writers who like I, I sort of, you know, I try and always be available for writers to other writers to talk to if they need advice or anything, if they think my advice would be good. And so there's a bunch of the newer Marvel writers who like, i either knew before they were marvel writers or, or friends of mine who i've sort of tried to help out along the way but there's always a moment at marvel where they're like okay it's time to go can i have this tomorrow or can i have this in two days and when you're an indie comics writer you're just not used to that like you, you're used to ruminating on things and taking weeks i remember once an editor said to me like how fast can you turn a script around and i was like usually about two weeks and they were like oh and I was like, no, I mean, I, I could go faster, but like, that's what I'm averaging now because of my workload. And I immediately was covering, because I was like two weeks is as fast as I've ever done a script. And I remember when I had my story approved for Secret Wars Journal, they were like, okay, cool. It's a 10 pager, can we have this in two days? And I wanted to go above and beyond. And I was like, you'll have it tomorrow. And I literally hung up the phone and started writing and wrote as fast as I've ever written and had it into them the next day. And then I was like, well, I guess I can write a script in two days if I need to. Imagine
0: um, the the excitement fueling you like crazy. But I imagine like once, you, once you're there, you're like, well, I got to show them I'm like I'm pro now like i can do
1: this oh yeah you're you they drop you into the deep end and they're like i mean it's the it's you know they're looking at quality they're looking at you know ease of working with you and they're looking at speed like it's a it's a speed business i mean we have to have scripts in every month like that can't be late there's just now there's no excuse for having a script late there's no excuse that works so you you need to do it or you, you need to do it or learn that you can't do it and look for something else to do so you know you learn that really quick when i got rocket raccoon it was such a great learning experience for me because they called me on monday and they were like would you want to write rocket a rocket raccoon miniseries and i said yeah and as jordan white was the editor and he was like do you think you could have a pitch to me by friday and i said you'll have a pitch in three hours
0: oh. and
1: he's like Damn. Okay, and I s- sat down and I sent him a pitch, and he wrote and he came back and he was like, "This is great. Do you think you can have an outline to me by Friday?" And I was like, "You'll have an outline tomorrow." And I, you know, it's like late in the day, and I I stayed up all night and I wrote the outline and I sent it into him and it's Tuesday now and he goes, "Okay," and he he took a little while to read it and so end of day Tuesday he gets back to me, and he's like, I have some notes and corrections, but you know, actually the first issue is looking pretty strong. And like, it, we talked about it on the phone for an hour and a half. And he's like, you know, I, I feel comfortable, you know, you have to revise the outline. But do you think I can have the first issue by Friday? And I was like, I just had this moment in my head where I was like, that's when I was supposed to have the pitch in. <laughs> like, and I, I just realized that I, I I busted my ass so much and ran so hard at it, that like, you don't get rewarded. There's no like grand prize for that. It's just like, oh, okay, the the goal line has moved further back.
0: Yeah. Um, and to make a terrible analogy, instead of the horse finally getting the the carrot, it's just more stick, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're just yeah, begging for more stick. You don't even know it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And I just I was like. You know, Tuesday I hadn't slept, and I was like, "Script by Friday." Yeah, okay, and a revised outline. You're like, yep, you got it. And I like, and I hung up the phone, and immediately my brain was like, "I have to get it to him Thursday. I have to be ahead of deadline." And yeah. I was like, yeah and that i mean that's just the job it's 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 uh it's demanding and it's it's tough but it's a it's an awesome job so i you know i have no complaints i'm not sitting here being like oh it was really hard and but it is a it is a funny funny business because you, it is like so much adrenaline based in a in a weird way
0: yeah i don't think anybody ever thinks of a writer much less a comic book writer and thinks look well, look at that adrenaline junkie he just can't do it without ridiculous circumstance
1: <laughs> yeah um we may not look like uh your typical adrenaline junkies but yeah i mean you know uh you put me and and ed brisson or me and Donnie cates or you know frank Barberi and me or any any of the writers that you know i'm really tight with and we're gonna be up and you know james tyne and josh williamson like like friends of mine and, and buddies and you know you put us together and, and we're just gonna be like talking about story and comics until like four or five in the morning like it's 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 hilarious to me sometimes, like, you know, at these conventions or, you know, when people are in town and, and you see them, like, sort of how much we sort of live off of this stuff in a, in a very real way. It's both comforting and alarming, I think.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, imagine a bunch of people who are passionate about it as fans themselves and then they get to in a way get the keys to the kingdom and get to play with it and really make it stuff how could that not be a room full of super excited people
1: sure sure yeah
0: you know um, and just to riff off the idea of adrenaline junkies for fun one day you guys should all wear like a gopro camera on your forehead <laughs> and see how riveting
1: that footage is oh, on youtube that's great. that's great I, uh you just want to see me uh you know answering emails when i wake up in the morning from bed for an hour before i even get up like it's great people would love to watch that
0: uh you know we say it in jest but there are probably a few people out there who would watch that for sure yeah like look he's he's live tweeting from from bed still it's he's been up 2 hours
1: yeah yeah look he forgot to have breakfast it's two in the afternoon, and he's just working, and he hasn't realized he hasn't eaten yet. Uh, it's, he'll yeah. order out.
0: It's fine. It's yeah. fine.
1: It's fine. It'll work out. I, but it's suspense. You know, it's the kind of thing that keeps people watching. They're like, wow, he has really no sense of self-preservation whatsoever. This is fascinating. At all.
0: At all. Fortunately, though, you do have a support network that reminds you sometimes for self-care, right? I know. Uh, Very briefly, we talked about your mother earlier. Uh, yes, and I, I just found that very fascinating Because I think you said your mom and your dad uh, Were both writers to some yeah. capacity Your your father did some novels, some TV
1: work What did your mom do? Uh, my mom was an editor uh, Was a book editor for a while um, But she wrote The only thing she's ever written that got made She wrote uh, a slasher film Ooh. She wrote a kind of iconic And pretty terrible slasher film
0: you can't just give me that kind of juicy morsel and not expect me to bite for more.
1: Um, uh, she wrote a movie called Maniac. Oh, the uh,
0: one—the one where they did the remake with Elijah Wood.
1: That is correct. Yes. Wow. The that the remake with Elijah Wood.
0: How do I put this? And not, of course, certainly not, not that hateful of the film or anything at all, but the way that I hear it referred to in cinema, is that movie slightly a little more towards the infamous than famous side?
1: Um, yes, it is a tour de force in, um, misogyny.
0: It, it really is. And that was written by your mom.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, a little inside baseball, uh, story. My mom wrote it. Um, they showed it to a bunch of people and I think, uh, I think it was like maybe Gene Siskel or Roger Ebert or one of the critics, um, Said it was the most misogynistic film he'd ever seen. And the producers of the movie, uh, you know, it's a very different time, uh, mm-hmm. wanted to lean into that. They came to my mom and they said, uh, they asked her if she had a middle name. And she said she did. Uh, and they, they said, you know, would you, her name's Charlotte. And they said, would you, do you have a middle initial? And she said, it's A. And they said, would you mind if we credited you in the movie as C.A. Rosenberg instead of Charlotte Rosenberg? wow and, and she said why and they said we don't want people to know a woman wrote it because um, they were leaning into the sort of horrific i mean it's about a serial killer who kills women um
0: yeah, yeah there's no way around that that is not if you're a female in that film yeah, things aren't going to go
1: well you're you're in trouble um yeah. so yeah i mean it's it's the it, it's sort of often pointed to as like one of the ends one of the the last the last days of the like sort of 1970s grindhouse gore cinema like you know the new renaissance of horror like the uh, maniac is one of the movies that people are like yeah this sort of pushed it to a level where people were not happy or comfortable and obviously there you know because of that there is a whole uh spectrum of people and filmmakers and stuff who really love it and and flock to it but it it sort of was seen as like a oh, this thing we've made has gone too far and it's time to like maybe reevaluate. So yes, Infamous.
0: I honestly, really, I was not expecting such a great story like that. That's incredible. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So uh, even with that and that kind of of Hollywood connection, sort of, you (laughs) had mentioned that your mom thought it was crazy that lots of people talk to you via social media or emails. Like, would, would you care to kind of reiterate that?
1: yeah yeah uh i was uh visiting my mom uh i don't know a week and a half ago two weeks ago something like that and we ended up out somewhere and we were stuck there for a little bit waiting for something and i didn't bring my laptop and didn't have a book and uh i kind of bring my laptop with me everywhere and i'm like get real sort of don't know what to do when i don't have it uh it's kind of upsetting to watch but um and my phone and my mom had a book and she was reading and I said, oh, I'm just going to you know, answer questions on Twitter. And she was like, what kind of questions? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. And she was like, who's asking you questions? So I was like, well, no one's asking me questions now. I'm going to say, like, does anyone have any questions? And she was like, who would have questions for you? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know, people who follow me on Twitter. And I think the whole thing sort of was kind of confusing to her in a, in a very real way. And then you know, I, I, tweeted out like, I am, you know, stuck in a waiting room. Does anyone have any questions for me? And, you know, like 15 minutes later, she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm answering questions. And she's like, someone had a question for you. And I was like, uh, you know, in the past 10 minutes, like, uh, almost 200 people have asked me questions or 400 or whatever it was. And, uh, the whole thing I think really caught her off guard. My parents, uh, never kind of sort of, a. uh, they understand because i've loved comics my whole life that comics are super important and they understand that like i'm flown places to go sign comics or like you know people put me up and like they understand that i was just in italy and england like signing comics and and like but but i think they kind of don't really get that like oh people really like the (laughs) x-men like that's really popular
0: Um, those funny books are that popular
1: yeah, and I, you know, I, I they're both writers, and so they, I think they both understood like, well, there's a craft to it. But you know, I I remember you know uh, one of my parents asking me at one point like, how many people read this? And I was like a month, and they were like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I think it was like I was working on X Men. I was like, I don't know. Like between digital and physical, and I, I don't know, like seventy thousand, eighty thousand, ninety thousand, something like that, and. They were so confused. <laughs> just like, they were like, they're going to, you're going to, over the course of it, like 90,000 people are going to read this. And I was like, no, this month, like 90,000 people will read it. And then they'll be back. I was like, actually, it's a bi weekly. So they'll be back in two weeks. And it was like a few thousand less come back every week. That's how comics works.
0: Um, right. Yeah. Each subsequent issue is fewer and fewer and fewer. Yeah. Until you kill somebody. And yeah. then that's a spike. That's and then it's fewer and fewer and fewer.
1: Yeah. Or until I'm replaced by... Well, John,
0: well, yeah, we, we'll, yeah, well, we'll talk about that in just a moment because I, I feel like I'd be missing a giant opportunity to hear a professional's perspective on that. Okay. I think it's hilarious that try and tell people that, yeah, I'm into comics, and now that's a lot easier to do, Thank to sure. Marvel. And uh, It looks like DC is finally starting to really come around uh, with some quality films as well. Sure. Uh, and, and TV shows. It's become very popular, very pop culture. Uh, but it is nice to kind of be able to look at somebody and say, you know, the thing that I'm into made a billion dollars. Yeah, uh,
1: it's a very weird Revenge of the Nerds time to live in, for sure. It uh, is. When I started at Marvel, I, I told the story to someone the other day. When I started at Marvel, I was so excited because, you know, when you make comics, people you meet, you meet people on the street, you meet people at a party, and they're like, what do you do? And you're like, I make comics. And they're like, anything I'd know? And then you say, Well, do you read comics? And they go, No. And then you have to be like, Well, no, then you're not going to know what my small independent comic is. Like most people who read comics aren't going to know what it is, but you certainly don't have a chance. Um, And then I started working at Marvel and I was working, I remember I was working on Kingpin and Rocket Raccoon. And I was so excited because people would be like, Oh, you know, where do you work? And I'd be like, You work on comics, anything I know. And I'd be like, I work for Marvel Comics. And they'd be like, Oh. Oh. And then they'd be like, What do you write? And I'd be like, Kingpin and Rocket Raccoon. And they just have no idea what that was. And then <laughs> I started being—I started having to go like, well, Kingpin, you know the Daredevil TV show on Netflix, Vincent D'Onofrio's character. Mm-hmm. I write the book about him. And you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie, you know, the raccoon. Uh, I write his comic. And people would be like, oh. And then I just like got sick of doing that. And I shorthanded it. And I used to say to people like, oh, yeah, I wrote Daredevil and Guardians of the Galaxy. Because it's just, to civilians, it doesn't matter. They're just Yeah, gonna, it doesn't. Yeah, they're going to be like, I met the comic book guy, and he said he wrote Batman and Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, like, they're just going to mess it up anyway and not have any idea what it means. And I remember I got a package, and the, um, the FedEx guy, he, I came down, I was signing for it, and he said, this came from Marvel Comics? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's cool. What is it? Or he said, he said why, why is Marvel Comics sending you something? And I said, I work there. I'm a, I'm a writer for Marvel. And he said, "Oh yeah, what do you write?" And I went, uh, "I write Daredevil and Guardians of the Galaxy." And he looked at me and he went, "You write Daredevil?" And I said, "Yeah." And he went, "You're not Charles Soule." And I was like, oh, <laughs> <damn it." laughs> and I was "I'm like, caught, yeah, I'm caught red-handed." It was the absolute worst. And I was like, "No, no, I'm not Charles. I actually don't write Daredevil. I write Kingpin. It ties into Charles's run." And he was like, "Oh," and he's like, "Cool." He's like. Daredevils cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> cool Charles He's a great writer. Have a good day. Um, but so I had to stop doing that shorthand because it. it yeah. Like,
0: congratulations. Bad. The FedEx guy in the middle of the day is the one who outed me. Thank you, sir. That yeah, was not expected.
1: It was not at all what I saw coming, uh, and it was uh, the perfect amount of humiliation to really uh, to really sort out the rest of my day. Oh, uh, after that,
0: I'm sure you had you had breakfast at 1:30 p.m. Uh, sure. and just really got your day started right.
1: Yeah, it's perfect, yeah. It's probably um, three, but yeah.
0: <laughs> I did want to ask about that, your Kingpin run. Um, <laughs> and that was during, it was a tie-in really to Civil War II. Yeah, right? it, started, it started as a tie-in to Civil War II, yeah. Um, and then and it just, and, you know, I don't know the nice way to say this to somebody, but certainly a compliment. And it's, I feel like that story and that particular run was way better than it should have been, uh, just coming out as a tie-in.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're like, well,
1: thanks. But no. no um, uh, the uh, You know, I, I actually am a, I'm a fan of Civil War II. I, I, I really like it. But I do hear uh, sentiments like that some, from time to time about that book. So. Well,
0: yeah, well, certainly don't get me wrong. The sentiment isn't on whether or not Civil War II was good or not. It was simply, you never expect a tie-in to a major event to be that good. Well, uh, so good, so that it it kind of goes on its own after the event's over. How did you pitch that story, or were you asked to write that story? How did the story itself, the Kingpin title, come in to reality?
1: Uh, I'd been doing, st- I'd been doing. You know, I did a, a that short story, the Secret Wars journal, and I did a Quake one shot, mm-hmm. and so I was like in there, sort of on deck at Marvel if they needed me. And uh, my understanding is that. Uh, brian bendis he'd read my stuff and and he was a a supporter very supportive very kind and i think he threw my name out there and a bunch of editors were catching my back and really supporting me and so i i got the call will moss who's just amazing editor called me and he was like okay so i'm gonna walk you through what civil war 2 is and he was like all we know is we want a villain book um what do you want to do like start throwing villain ideas out there start throwing that stuff out there and in my head, I was like, well, it should be big and crazy. And I was like, can we use Doom? And he was like, no, you can't use Doom. And I was like, can we use... And I was like, trying to go big and crazy. And he was like, no, you can't use any of that stuff. And he was like, who's your favorite villain? And I was like, well, it's Kingpin. And he was like, well, why aren't you telling me a Kingpin story? And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, he's sort of been off the map and sort of not really around and in the picture. And he was like, yeah. Okay, so put him back on the map. And I was like, "Oh." And it sort of had hadn't dawned to me that like uh, it hadn't dawned on me that like, you know, I I'm sitting down at the chessboard and I'm supposed to move the chess pieces myself. I was kind of like, "Well, the pieces aren't where I want them." And they kind of looked back at me and were like, "Well, put them where you want so them." So move and, them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that was that was a big moment for me. And so I, I just came back and was like, yeah, I want to do a Kingpin story that's, you know, just like a, a crime story about, you know, the, the, the Kingpin returns to New York and going to war and being, being Kingpin and, and sort of trying to take it over and seizing an opportunity. And, and they were like, yeah, cool, go. And it's funny because the book, uh, no one bought it. It didn't sell particularly well, but people at Marvel loved it. Like, well, that, uh, that's reassuring. Yeah, no, it was really nice. They, I just kept getting notes and and, and calls from editors and, and people at the company being like, this is so good. And I was like, oh, thank you. And, you know, it two issues in, they were like, we're going to do more Kingpin. And I was like, we're making Civil War two Kingpin more than four issues. And they're like, no, you're going to do Kingpin number one, like you're going to launch a new Kingpin book. And I, in my head, I was like, well, that's awesome. And then I was like, well, no one's reading this one. Why would they read the next one when it's not tied into an event? Like, even less people are going to read it. But I was not about to say that to them and talk them out of doing it. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. 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 So
1: we we came back and, and started doing the Kingpin book. And, you know, tra- that was right when Charles Soule was taking over Daredevil. And and Charles had a big plan for Kingpin that was coming up. And mm-hmm. it was sort of a, you know, it was the Kingpin becoming mayor. And you know, they I sat and talked with Charles and he was like, This is where he has to end up and I was like, Cool, uh, you know, I I I could write three years of this. Like this is I would love to write this, just like crime and, and intrigue and sort of political drama is, is so fun to me and and in the Marvel universe it's such a such a good time. And so we, we started going and then uh at a certain point Charles for a very good reason changed his plan. <laughs> And he I remember he sent me a note and he was like, hey, I'm not doing this arc now that like you're going to tie into heavily. And I said, "Okay," And I said, they're going to kill me now, aren't they? And he was like, I'm afraid they might, <laughs> but like uh, that's why he was very kind to call and give me the heads up because he knew that like it wasn't going to go well for the book because the book was uh, surviving entirely on the idea that it was going to tie directly into Daredevil and when we lost that it was like well why are we publishing this book but I you know I, I love the you know I essentially wrote nine issues of a Kingpin story and it's it's some of my favorite stuff I've ever written I I do really love it I meet people all the time who are just you know like diehard fans of that stuff and uh, I would love to get back and sort of do more along those lines.
0: I do feel like you on a street level character book like Kingpin or Punisher feels like a good fit. Like it's a, I hate to, you know, not to paint into a corner or anything. Cause you've written a lot of different stuff as well, but I, I feel like you really excelled there. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I certainly don't want to toot your horn for you, but sure. I mean, whenever you have somebody on the show that you're a fan of, why not tell them that you're a fan? So, oh.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. I love the street level stuff and I, it's a shame because I, you know, I sort of grew up in the, in the heyday of like Wolverine and Ghost Rider and Moon Knight and Daredevil and Punisher and Spider-Man are running around and running into each other and, and brawling in the streets. And those were like driving force books of the line in a big way. Um, you know, you, you, you'd get a sales bump when you put Moon Knight in your book. Um. And I I I love that, and you know, Night Thrasher and the New Warriors, like the real street level, like you know, the guys beating up people in alleys. Like I I love those guys. And Marvel right now is in is in a place where like there's a lot of eyes on on the biggest spectacle. And I love those books. I mean, I love you know what Jason's doing in Avengers and what Donny's doing in Venom, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Al even in Hulk. Are, like these are huge spectacle books, and they're they're bigger than than you know bigger than the movies and they're awesome but i i feel like a, a lot of a lot of the people who really uh clamor for the the street level the like the sewer's eye view of the marvel universe uh y- you know i feel like those characters are a little underserved there's not an iron fist book now there's not a luke cage there's not a current jessica jones book like there's no you know currently there's no punisher ongoing like and uh, there's no moon Knight book like uh, i just really love those characters and i'm hoping that you know they have a renaissance because i i really do feel like You know, there's the famous Stan Lee quote where he says, you know, Marvel's the world outside your window. Like, I grew up in New York City. Like, I grew up seeing the places that, you know, Daredevil was fighting. Like, I, I, you know, like, I I would recognize locations and stuff. And so, to me, like, those characters who are fighting on the streets of New York, like, that was the world outside my window. And that, to me, is a really big part of the Marvel Universe. You know, whenever I get the chance to play there, I I, I leap at it. And I, I really do sort of cherish that stuff. Yeah, very cool i can imagine how anything that is set in
0: the city you live in uh just makes it that much cooler sure um, that's why any book that is set in st louis for me is always very interesting i i can only imagine growing up and reading comics and if you're a marvel fan and you live in new york you're really going to see some stuff sure uh, yeah but good luck finding the baxter building uh let me know if anyone finds it
1: Uh, you know, the modern Baxter building, uh, there was a run, I want to say it's Mike Waringo, but I'm not actually sure where it's designed to look like a specific building and it looks like the Verizon building. No way. Yeah. The Verizon building doesn't have, I'm not even sure if it's still the Verizon building, but it used to be the, there was a building and I could be off here, but someone drew the book where they designed it to look exactly like there was a skyscraper that, uh where i believe verizon held all their um like they had all these servers and all this like all this equipment that couldn't be like getting too hot it had strict temperature controls and there's Mm -hmm. uh humidity and stuff so it was in this enormous windowless building (laughs) um and it's really stands out because it's a skyscraper with no with almost no windows and that there's a run of Fantastic Four where the Baxter building is drawn like that. And I always loved it because I'd go downtown and see it and be like, oh, yeah, it's the Baxter oh, building. Oh, there it yeah. is. Yeah. I see it. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. So and I know we briefly touched on it earlier, um, but your work on X-Men. Yes. Which, let's just, I mean, just thinking of it just purely as the amount of work that it must have been. It was a biweekly book, right? Yeah
1: uh well when i started it was me kelly thompson ed brisson and it was a weekly book our first oh. 10 issues are weekly, and then it goes to bi-weekly except in the middle of it there's war of the realms which i wrote three issues of war of the realms tied in so those shipped three times to- that made it three times a month for three months so yeah that's insane that's a lot of work
0: but your run happened and you know it it came to the end just in time for Hickman's relaunch of X-Men to, to kind of take off.
1: Yeah. It's cra- what a crazy coincidence.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's almost, it's almost as if somebody designed it that way. And, yeah. But the question I have is when you started writing X-Men, you know, yes. you, you, you got the call. I assume that, Hey, you know, it's open. We're going to, we hope you'll do it or we'll let you do it or however that worked out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, at what point did you realize what was coming next down the pipe? Because really I don't think anybody and you know I'm on Twitter quite a bit and you can read so much and of course, you know, now that's true, none these people are in the room. But it's it's always nice to hear from a professional standpoint when you realize that, oh, this will be the end of the book I'm writing. Did you know that within the first ten issues? Was it halfway through, more towards the end? When did you find out?
1: Um, I found out before I had X-Men. We knew... Oh, wow. Okay. uh, Yeah, he's been working... Jonathan has been working on that for a long time. It's been an idea that that he floated and has sort of kicked around. And, yeah, he's been working on it for for years. And it's it's something that, um, you know, was rumored. And then there was rumor it wasn't going to happen. And, you know, you sort of just don't pay attention to that stuff. Um, I think while I was doing... Let me see. I did my first book in the X-Office was Phoenix Resurrection, and then I did Multiple Man, and then got New Mutants and Astonishing. And I think right before I got Astonishing, maybe right as I got Astonishing, they told me Jonathan was going to come do X-Men, and my time i'm I'm terrible with my sense of time when things happen but uh so i knew he was coming but i didn't know what he was doing i knew some like general ideas and there was a couple things that like you know people would pitch and get waved off of and and you sort of get the assumption sometimes when people are waved off things that there's something coming and so when he was coming we were like oh i wonder if that is relates to what he was going to do or you know is it you know either similar to something he was going to do or the opposite of something he's going to do and then most of the, as I got into Astonishing very early in Astonishing, they were like, hey, we're actually going to wrap Astonishing. Um, it was actually doing really well. And I was kind of like, why are we wrapping it if it's doing well? And they were like, we're going to fold it into, uh, we're folding all the X books into one book. And that's going to be what became Uncanny X Men Disassembled, which was Kelly and Ed and me. Um, and mm-hmm. Kelly had been writing uh mr and mrs x and uh ed had been writing old man logan and uh, you know everyone was doing a bunch of x stuff we were sort of you know the cullen and and mark and and dennis hopeless and a a bunch of other people were doing x stuff but but a lot of people's stuff was winding down and we were the people who were had stuff that was still going and they were like you guys are going to come in and end the x-men was basically what we were told and we didn't really know why exactly and again some of my time might be off i'm sure ed or kelly would have a different you know better sense of it maybe but Mm -hmm. uh we sat in a room and and you know a bunch of the Marvel writers and and jonathan came in and walked us through house of x and powers of 10 and the next couple years and i think everyone's jaw was on the floor uh it's just a really stunning uh i mean he's a genius and it was just a stunning pitch and from there we were sent back out basically to be like, okay, how do you get from where we are to where he needs to be? Um, and all that. And, you know, there were sort of specific directions and, and stuff, but and a lot of stuff changed and was sort of fluid because the X force idea wasn't necessarily there. And age of X Men wasn't exactly what it was going to be. And, you know, there was a time when it was going to be like age of X Men was going to be other people before it was Zach and Lonnie, you know, it was very, um, very fluid but also very move, moving quickly and we knew what was coming and then it just became a sort of uh you know when when kelly and ed left x Men, left uncanny and kelly uh, uh i think kelly left for captain marvel and and ed left for um ghost rider but x-force more immediately um and i stayed on to be uncanny writer there was a you know, I had a long talk with them about like, well, this is it like this is the wrap up of X-Men. What is it going to be and and where does it go? And, you know, we had this discussion of like, well, Jonathan is bringing the X-Men to a new era. And so this is the end of the last era of X-Men. Um, and that's where sort of a lot of the stuff like at the start of the book where at, at issue 11, it says like this is the last X-Men story ever because it is you know the end of this era of x-men and and what's come after it is is a different thing it's 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 x-men but it's different you know like like mm-hmm. all sort of great takes on a character it's it's a it it's the same but it's a reinvention also at the same time and so that's like a lot of that stuff was about ending everything that had come before so that jonathan could kind of have a clean slate and also you know they the, the I, I believe the expression was said to me uh, he's bringing everything to sort of a, a new bright point. So you should take them to the darkest place possible so that he can bring them to the light. And I was like, all right, like darkest place possible. Let's go. That that Uh, really explains some things. All right. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's where we ended up and, um, you know, it's my it's my sad love letter to the X-Men and, and sort of uh, my my two years spent with them and, and, and saying goodbye and sort of burying, you know, killing my darlings and burying some of my favorite characters. But with the, the really wonderful safety net of knowing that, like, they're not gone and I'm going to be able to read them as a fan in, you know, a few weeks. I mean, I was still writing uncanny as i was reading the first issues of house of x and powers of 10 and and wow. seeing, i can only that. can only imagine yeah yeah i mean it's awesome you know i i really uh i love everything that's coming and and all the all the books are so good and everyone's doing such an awesome job and it's it's uh it's very fun to to be off in the avengers corner with hawkeye and the cosmic corner and i'm doing a bunch of other stuff coming up and uh just be once again like uh, I, I I get to be the X Men fan I was when I was a kid and when I was you know a teenager and in my twenties and just seeing stuff and I, I I want them to get to the point where I don't know what's going to happen next but that's like <laughs> a ways off because I've heard years and years and unfortunately like a bunch of the X writers are, are very close friends of mine like
0: uh, Jerry
1: Jerry Duggan and Teenie Howard and Vidal are are very good friends of mine so I hear I keep hearing things and I kind of want to just be like you know Ed Brisson, and I kind of want to just be like. Guys, I just I just want to read it as a fan,
0: <laughs> but hey, like, hey man, can I be surprised by something? But then, of course, I can imagine how that would go the other way. Like, you wouldn't tell me something. Like, yeah, you know, I can't wait yeah. till next month.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's also stuff like we need to know. Like, there's you know, like as a Marvel writer, like I need to know what's going on in the books in the universe, and so I, I can't really like tune out and not not pay attention because right. I, I'll I'll make a mistake in a book and. That that won't fly. So,
0: right. Well, I do. Um, I wanted to at least talk to you about your take on the end of your run on X Men and Uncanny, uh, because I think one of my favorite things I saw from you was your send off uh, at the end of the book. The day your last book came out, mm-hmm. I felt that your tweet, which went on for a few tweets in length, but it, it felt very heartfelt, and you ended it with "Lastly, thank you, Stan and Jack." Mm -hmm. for everything you know it's not often that you find maybe it is more often maybe not it could be my perception but it's not often you find somebody who realizes that their run has ended and they're done playing with the characters for now uh and they're just incredibly thankful you know but more so thankful enough to where it all came from from the originators of the of the series and the way that you were thankful to you know the other collaborators on the different series and things like that. Uh, and even Hickman himself, but also Chris Robinson and, uh, CB, you know, for, for giving you the chance. I just felt that it's really nice whenever you see somebody show that kind of gratitude and send off with a sort of love for the characters, the opportunity and the experience.
1: Oh yeah. Well, thank you. That's, that's really nice of you to say. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't hide the fact, uh, that, you know the x men are, are you know so important to me and and so important to to who i am as a person and 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 how i see the world and you know helped me get through a lot of stuff when i was a kid and 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 you know were sort of constant companions in my life and like the honor of of playing with them and shaping those stories and you know it was never lost on me it was never something i took lightly and you know not to get too too weird and sentimental but like uh, during the course of that run like um i lost someone who was really dear to me and and oh, so sorry uh, to hear that uh, thank you uh and it was you know it was a very emotional time and you know like a lot of those issues were written in a, in a in a hospital room and it, it was just a very heavy sort of thing and and uh to deal with and and saying goodbye to the x men and and saying goodbye to this thing like i i just really it was very open. It was very sort of a very raw kind of thing. It was very like, this was a childhood dream of mine that I fulfilled and, and, and I got to do something with that. I, you know, I never, it's one of those things that you, you dream about doing and you never imagine you will actually get to do. And so I, I just never, I wanted to make it really clear that I don't, I don't take that stuff lightly and I don't, I don't take it for granted. And, and that goes back to, to, of course, to Stan and Jack and just like, you know, I, I think any Marvel writer, any Marvel, anyone who works at Marvel who doesn't always have the perspective that one, these characters will live on after I'm dead, but also uh, these characters were here before I was born. And that's, you know, the sense of insignificance, I think, is really important. Um, the sense of scale and the the idea that, like, I'm not writing the x-men i'm adding a couple stitches to the tapestry that is the x-men and that's i think really important to keep in mind like even even jonathan who's coming in and reshaping everything and doing such an amazing job and you know his run will be viewed as one of the greats uh, of all time if not the greatest of all time you know definitely running to be the greatest of all time up there with claremont and and morrison and stan and jack and all these other writers um he's still just adding a couple stitches to something that goes back before he was born and something that will go on after long after he's gone. And that's, uh, you know, I, I said that to someone once and they were like, that's so disheartening. And I was like, I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Like, I I think that I, that's what makes me want to do this is to, to know that like, you can follow these threads that I'm putting down and you can follow them back to Jack Kirby. Like there's no greater honor in, in all of comics and in all of it to me, there's no greater honor in all of like modern American storytelling than, than that. And so, you know, I, 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 I don't always come out and I'm not always going to come out and, and have a sort of tear filled goodbye to a book every time. Um, but it is a, uh, Uh, you know, it's always there in the back of my head, but the, like the legacy of all of this is, is never something that, that should be taken for granted.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's a beautiful perspective. Um, everybody's looking for some type of legacy, uh, you know, for, for me, that's my, my child. Um, and I can only imagine that'd be a piece of creative work that was consumed by, you know, thousands of people. And, uh, you get to contribute to your favorite stories from before you and, like you said, exist after you. Like, I can't imagine kind of a a better honor. So that's an excellent perspective. I really wish people would kind of think of all things in that way, whether it's the, the latest Star Wars movie, um, just getting to experience that. Sure. Or, you know, the TV shows or any book, anything, you know, um, just having that perspective on life like this is here. The idea was before me and there's going to be more after me Uh, just being grateful to contribute to it in any way, you know, whether you're a creator or a consumer, you know, just I think I think our society and this is just me real hot take would be a lot better off if they just realized that it's better to be in the moment and a part of something than necessarily commenting on it.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, I, you know, I, I think there's, you know, I think there's something really nice about about having perspective. And I, I think, you know, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I was watching, uh, I was stuffing envelopes yesterday and watching an episode of Mad Men. And there's a thing on, on the episode where they talk about the pictures of Earth from from space that, that came back. And it's the first pictures of Earth. And and they talk about how insignificant it made them feel, and and you know I've I've heard all those stories about just like what it felt like, and uh, I'm sort of a big space nerd, so I, I kind of love that stuff, and 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 they 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 painted it as this really really harrowing kind of daunting thing to see how small and defenseless you are as just like this blue marble in space, and I I just realized that like I love those pictures of Earth from space, and I never found them uh, upsetting. I, I did find, I did find like, I, I don't know, I sort of reveled in the insignificance of it all. I sort of found it really beautiful to be like the, the, the importance is not some great cosmic thing. Like you can't see me from space. The importance is in the people around you and, and making people's lives better and the people you touch and interact with. And that's, that's sort of always been how I try and approach everything in my life. It's just like, what is the point of anything if you're not making the people you interact with lives better and, you know, your life's not better for that. So, you know, it's a, uh, I'm glad that some of that came out in, in, in my, my post book summation, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, I think there's, I think there's a real, I think there's a real power in, in recognizing your insignificance and, and sort of embracing it and, and figuring out how to, how to own that.
0: That is. I know you have said that you are not a father, uh, but that is something that I think would carry over very well uh, with you if you were to ever go on that crazy adventure that is uh, parenthood. Uh, I mean, I, just, have
1: a, I have a cactus.
0: Well, is it still alive?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So
0: far, you're doing great. Your Thank practice you. run has been incredible. Yeah,
1: they kind of they're kind of hard to kill. Well, they, ju- let's did- not
0: let's not take away from the incredibleness that you're keeping something alive
1: thank you thank you you're right you're right i'm sorry you're right but
0: also it's hard to kill them yes i know
1: yeah just like they take water once or twice a year yeah
0: just every once in a while you have to like spill a glass of water into it and it'll be fine
1: yeah that's great uh that's that's sort of my a good level of responsibility for me for like. now
0: for now yeah uh-huh. All right. Well, enough dwelling on what you have written and how you felt about everything. Let's talk about some of the exciting stuff that you have coming up because I know you already had mentioned it. But uh, the the Hawkeye book. Well, and you're yes. you're currently currently you have Nova uh, the Annihilation Scourge out. Yes. Uh, and that yep. is a great fun book to read. Um, it's nice for people who like. Space Marvel, or Marvel in space. Cosmic Marvel,
1: if you Cosmic will. Cosmic Marvel,
0: yeah. Um,
1: yeah, uh, Annihilation's out now. Uh, this week, uh, two issues came out. It's six issues total. Um, you know, I sort of spearheaded the whole thing, um, and then we brought in uh, three awesome, awesome writers in uh, Dead Abnet, who obviously worked on the original Annihilation, uh, Christos Gage, who worked on the sequel, um, the original sequel, and then uh, my buddy Mike Morisi, who is one of the best writers working in comics, and, um, and I was structured, there's an Alpha and Omega to start it, and then there's four one-shots that are, you know, I, I, I said, the, the important thing for me is like it, it, they need to be puzzle pieces, they all they all break apart, and, but they need to stand on their own, they need to be a, a working a working story that if you just like the fantastic four and don't want to read all of annihilation, like go read the fantastic four issue. Um, and you'll get a happy, good, you'll be happy with your great fantastic four issue. So there's an alpha and omega. And then there's the Nova issue, which I wrote. There is a uh, beta Ray bill by Mike Morisi, which came out this week. There's silver surfer, which, uh, the Dan Abnett wrote, which came out this week. Uh, and Christos gauge wrote, um, the Fantastic Four issue that came out last week, and then next week is the wrap-up. So it's all, it, you know, it's a Marvel event. Every issue is oversized and big and epic and crazy, but it's also uh, a little more compact and and easily di- easily digestible than mm-hmm. your typical Marvel event, which I, I like. Um, we're not following a bunch of threads that are, you know, uh, tangential. We're not we're not um, spinning a story out. Uh, into other places uh, we're, we're, we're laser focused on what's happening which is a big cosmic war um, and it, it's really fun it's been really fun um, I love the cosmic stuff but I, um, I'm i straight edge so I'm, I'm not a, a drinker I don't do drugs uh, so sometimes uh, the cosmic stuff thinking about how you deal with an atom warlock or uh, things like that is, is something where I'm like I could never write that book because it's you know uh, cosmic reality fabrics fighting and tearing apart and, uh, you know, the the Collector shows up and Destiny, you know, whatever it is. Uh, mm-hmm. That stuff always goes over my head. But I, I love the original Annihilation because it is essentially a war story in space with superheroes. And, and that is something that I understand and, and can sort of wrap my head around. So that's what we're doing, and, and I'm very excited about it. And, and people have been really enthusiastic. It's sort of my first... Um, toes into the cosmic universe and uh the cosmic fans have been awesome and and super fun to to play with and you know to to tell stories for and um yeah it's been a great experience and very, then
0: very cool very cool
1: thank you I actually, and then oh yeah what were you gonna say
0: I was gonna say actually I look forward to uh Mike Moris's Better A Bill. Um, yeah yeah he's it's, honest uh, he's a great guy uh not to spend too much time talking about I'm just Real quick, I was introduced to him through his novel, Black Star Renegades.
1: Great book, great book. Yeah, yes. great
0: book. Um, and fortunately, I got to meet him at C2E2, and he was unbelievably gracious. He did a breaking into comics panel, actually, which sure. is really funny, and signed the book for me. Uh, always um, very kind. Uh, but he- to see him on the on the series, the Annihilation Scourge series, and writing better Ray Bill was a, a, a very nice surprise for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially Um, since he's working on Wasted Space over at Vault, uh, among other things. And it's great to see him on a space book at Marvel.
1: For sure. Um, Mike is, uh, when I was first uh, trying to break into comics and pitching things, Mike is one of the first comic creators I met. And he was doing the same thing. And so we've been friends for years and years. And he is uh, one of my closest friends and and a guy I, I care about so much and uh you know the the opportunity for this came in and i was like guys he's he's doing wasted space he's doing the plot like he's just knocking it out of the park on everything he touches and marvel was like yeah well let's bring him in um so I i was really excited it's his first marvel book and uh and he just kills it it's so good um i hope that he has many many more marvel books to come but um yeah it's it's great it's been it's been so fun working with him and and all this, and uh, he's actually flying to New York uh, next week, and we're gonna hang out and go see a movie, get some dinner. It's Very cool.
0: Time. Are you guys gonna go see Star Wars? We we are. <laughs> that is correct. That's fantastic. I can only just guess what kind of movie he'd be excited about, uh, especially with the uh, tattoo he bears of the rebels on his on his yeah. arm. I so, have
1: the same. T- I have the same tattoo. So.
0: Dude, I'm so sorry. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you in, in person to but, shake your hand. Uh, but if ever we get the chance, I would love to rectify that. Sure. However, moving away from the cosmic aspect of Marvel uh, that you're writing. You, I mean, I'm really looking forward to this book is the Hawkeye book.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: it's more of a kind of like a down to earth kind of street level character. Yes. Uh, which clearly we've already talked about is exciting whenever you get to write it. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure the story has a lot of great things involved. But, can I just ask you, how great is it to work with uh, Otto Schmidt?
1: Um, it is so great it's It's sort of hard to put into words. i kind of I've done a bunch of press about this, and i I, I don't know how to say it where it sounds earnest. But basically, every single thing that Otto does is better than the thing before. It's kind of unreal like i I am in love with every single panel he's drawn um in such a real serious way and it's awesome he's he's so good and and when you start a relationship with a with a an artist and and start doing a book together it's sort of you know it's like It's like being in a band like you're you're learning how they play and and you're you know you're trying to figure out what tempos they want to work at so you can do that the same and so i sort of studied his stuff and i was reading going back and rereading a bunch of his dc stuff and looking at his art book and i was like okay and you know normally you get a you get an artist who's like even a great artist kind of excels at at one thing that you'll be like oh this guy is great at um, you know, the big, uh, the big action scenes or this, this lady is, is great at these, these character moments or, uh, you know, this, this person does, you know, uh, the comedic stuff really well. And, uh, and Otto, I've realized in going through his stuff just does all of it so well <laughs> that I've, it's hard to, yeah, you yeah. Just can't tailor a book to him because it's like, well, anything you give him, he's going to knock out of the park. Um. Uh, yeah it's funny because i think i think people are when hawkeye comes out i think people are going to lose their minds like people who aren't familiar with him because he's just such a force to be reckoned with uh, the you know like he he his characters are so expressive and fun and his style is so cool but then the actions the fight scenes are awesome and and like um you know his page constructions are so cool I, he just has no weak spots um it's it's sort of uh it's a great challenge and like you know a, a lot of times you 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 write a script and you get the art back and then you revise some of the writing to to match the art and that's the normal process and then you you know you get it from lettering and you you do some tweaks um, and with his stuff i'm like rewriting whole chunks to like rise to what he's given me because i'm like oh this doesn't you know, like, oh, he has this reaction shot here. He gave Clint a reaction shot, and I just really want that to, like, stand on its own. So I need to restructure, you know, there's he, it's the most rewrites I've probably ever done after Art's come in on a book, but it, it just it's so worth it because he's just killing it.
0: I was going to say, it's got to be good if it's the most work you've ever had to do after getting it, uh, but you're still excited about it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just... If,
0: if that's not yeah, a testament... It's...
1: it's it's like i you know i i I don't know how to say it like i i can't say how excited i am like just read the book it's in stores january 1st and it's just like do yourself a favor and just pick it up and and flip through it and like you'll be a convert um you know he's one of those guys who's doing a stylized thing that i don't think you know other other people aren't really doing and uh, but it's he's not doing a stylized thing where it doesn't fit like it fits it feels like a Marvel. It feels like it could be in the Marvel universe. It feels like a Marvel book, but it just looks different from every other Marvel book in a in a great way. Um and I love the way Marvel books look. It's just he's just so unique and talented that it's it's really awesome.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um well, we certainly look forward to that book coming out. You said that drops January 1st?
1: Yeah, January 1st. Um yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's it's a uh, you know, it's 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 clint and he's he's uh he's back up to his normal shenanigans and he's uh he runs into the hood and uh it doesn't go the way he wants to and and he sort of he kind of becomes a little obsessed with like making the hood's life difficult because he can't he's not going to kill him and he can't stop him and so it he just has a very clint approach to things and it, you know that all sort of starts to spin out of control for him because it's like uh you know it's clinton and, and the hood is very dangerous and he's sort of not taking that seriously so it becomes this very uh, uh you know my original title my original pitch title was hawkeye it's not funny anymore because it's <laughs> uh you know it's about it's about it'd it. be great yeah um people were like you really want to set yourself up for that and i was like well we'll see Uh, because it is funny and there's a comedic elements, but it's about a guy, you know, it's about Clinton. He takes a joke too far and he, he just goes, you know, he can't let it go. And it, it becomes, uh, you know, dangerous. And, and so that's, that's a big thing. And then also there's another element that we haven't talked about as much, which is that there's a new Ronin and.
0: Oh, very interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. the new Ronin is, is maybe uh, is very dangerous and sort of hurting people and kind of a loose cannon and he's, he's robbing some people and uh, Hawkeye at the same time is messing with the hood and, and sort of a lot of Hawkeye's friends are, you know, the book is full of great guest stars and they're all kind of looking at Clint being like, what are you doing? And then while all eyes are on him, this new Ronin appears and they're all kind of like, is this you? and. Uh, and he's like no it's not me and so you know it's sort of all these sort of elements of of his life are kind of spinning out of control some of his own making some not and it's how that all ties together is uh, you know the sort of driving force of the book of just like watching Clint sort of get in too deep Um, but it's fun it's funny and it's you know it's it's, there's some relationship stuff in it he's got a new girlfriend and there's a bunch of jokes and uh, a lot of cool guest stars. I, I'm really excited about it. I, I hope people check it out.
0: I was going to say, this sounds like a book that's really worth picking up. Uh, so, I think so certainly go check that out. But uh, do you have anything else coming up that we should be keeping an eye out for?
1: Yeah. Um, in February, I'm doing a new Force Works book. Awesome. Uh, yeah. It's uh, It ties into the Iron Man 2020 event that Dan Slott is doing. Um, and Dan sort of walked a bunch of the writers through that and it's just awesome and and so cool and so exciting and um uh i was really just so in love with what he was talking about and then it finished and they were like so we're doing a couple other spin-off books and one of the ones they mentioned was forceworks and i just i love the original forceworks and was like there's a new forceworks and they were like yeah why and i was like can i do it and they were like why do you want it?" and i was like it's forceworks and dan's idea is cool so uh yeah it's a it's a tie-in but it's it's real crazy and fun and I can't talk too much about it but it's uh Quake and Mockingbird and US Agent and War Machine on a team. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And and you're selling
0: it already right there.
1: Yeah, I mean I I it's a lot of uh a lot of folks I love who don't who don't necessarily get get the attention that I think they deserve. So um I'm Fantastic. Putting, I'm putting all them in there. And then other than that, I have a, a new book coming out from Image later in the year um, called What's the Farthest Place from Here? And I'm doing that with Tyler Boss, who did Four Kids Walk into a Bank with me. And uh, yeah, it's just a fun, dystopian, post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story about kids, uh, a gang of kids who live in a record store after the world has ended. Um and uh yeah i'm really excited for people to check that out when when we put it out which i'm hoping is the spring very cool very cool and that's the only, that's the last thing i can talk about
0: that's the only thing you can talk about i actually feel like i've been blessed with more than i thought i would get uh figuring out that ronin is going to show up in hawkeye and yeah. um, force works in february like that's still i guess two and a half you no know, two and a half months out so sure yeah. thank you for sharing that that's incredible um, but, uh, awesome. Yeah. So aside from on your Twitter, which is at Ashcan press, uh, yep. or your website, ashcanpress.com. Uh, is there anywhere else that people should be looking for you?
1: I like the Indian restaurant in my neighborhood. I go there about <laughs> once a week. Plug uh, it.
0: If you love it, plug it. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, I don't want it to get too crowded, and then uh, then they won't have a table for me when I go there. I actually never eat there. I always get food to go and eat in front of my computer. But um, the yeah, sad. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm around. Uh, I have a Instagram page that's Ashcan Press. I don't ever update it. Um, I have a Facebook page that's Ashcan Press. I don't ever update it. Uh, I have a Tumblr page. I think you can guess what it is. Uh, uh. I also don't ever update it, but I don't think anyone's on Tumblr anymore, so I think that's okay. It's okay. That's why the screen name of uh, Indian Table for
0: One uh, just doesn't make sense anymore, but it's fine. It's Tumblr.
1: That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I'm a writer, so I try to just be on Twitter. I try to stick to one. One is enough. One is too much already. So. Indeed. I will say that uh, anybody who
0: actually uh, contacts Matt with, you know, within reason, uh, he will communicate with you. That's how I was fortunate enough to get him on the show. So don't be scared to say hi, you know, comments on his work. Uh be kind always. But uh yeah, hit him up. He will talk to you at Ashcamp Press.
1: Yeah, I try or, to always you know I try to always uh answer people. I I that's sort of the point of having a Twitter I find. So I I try and be there if people have questions or thoughts or anything. And I'm happy to chat about comics because i love comics so fantastic
0: well we have plenty to look forward to and i have much to be thankful for uh when your interview it was very enlightening very entertaining and i'm certainly uh eager for more uh so until next time matt thanks so much
1: thank you so much for having me this was super fun